second is 45. People are doing really great experiments or there's people you've, you've been doing something the last week or so. So if anybody has some report of what you've been doing, if you have a report about what you've been discovering or doing, I would love to have you share it with us. If anybody would like to do that, that would be great. I've discovered my bright principles and my point of, point of origin. Do you want to say more about that, Janet? Have you been to a lab yet? Not yet. Just two ETBs. Okay, cool. I think I think it's getting time for you to be in a lab. I I, I asked if there were any coming up, but I don't think any in the U.S. are scheduled yet. Yeah, I don't know of any, but you know, Port, Portugal is not so far away from Texas. I think we're banned. Are we banned oh, still? Banned. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. That's what I. Like. Yeah. How, do you want to say anything about how you? I, you should tell people about your map. You sent this. Jen sent this map in the in the WhatsApp group about the, her, her point of origin. Can you just talk about that for a minute? Yes. So there's a, a kid's toy here. I'm not really a toy. You can go to parks and stuff and you put a penny in a huge, big old funnel. And the penny will go round and round. And then at some point it spins really fast. And you watch it go down and then it just falls into the, the thing. And so that was my visual. When you use the word funnel, I thought of like catching, collecting. These last couple of weeks I've been collecting these stories around how I operate and um, beliefs, which immediately afterwards, I'm like, that's not true, but just collecting them. Um, and then kind of came to, if I could distill them, like what are like the things I'm holding on to? And then when I looked at them, I, then I went to my bright principles. I was like, oh shoot, like they're directly connected in all the different ways. And so then I imagine like that penny spinning, spinning. And then if I take these like modern culture, like ideas that I have around order or independence, then what's on the other side of that? Like if I spin it, I spin out the modern culture, then like, what is it that, I don't know, like the other side of the point of it. And, and then it came to these like expansion and evolution and then, <laughs> I don't know what it said. I was, was last night, I was sitting there and suddenly this image of a fan, like air, like blowing, like blowing the box open and like expanding the box. And it just like, I felt the air. And then I was like, and then I, I was, I'm a human fan. I'm a fan. Like I'm blowing. Um, but then I'm also a fan of human. Like that's been a big part of my discovery around being more human. What does it mean? That's feeling and telling people, inviting people to become more human that there are these bodies we have these four bodies and how we're not activating what it means to be human and there's the emotions and it's an invitation will you be human with me will you feel with me so it was a play on words and um visual and so that's where eventually it came but and, it, and it's nonlinear. It's like, it's kind of a joke i laugh i think it's hilarious um the nonlinear part of me was 
it's nothing. It, you know, I can see in, in a business card, Janet Trevino, human fan. Like, it's just, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And someone would be like, what, what do you mean by that? And I'd be like, exactly. Like, let me explain how I'm here to like to blow, you know, I'm an airbender. Like I'm going to blow, blow into expansion, expanding spaces and expanding myself. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sharing that stuff. I'm just was asking people if you're doing experiments, what we're like discovering something or, or working on something, what's showing up for you? I was asking for some sharing from people. So if anybody else would like to share something, we'd like to hear from you guys. Gosh, Felix is even here. Hello, Felix. <laughs> Yeah, so what, anybody want to share something? I don't, I can't, I don't see anybody, everybody on the screen. So if you have, if you want to say something, just go ahead. I can share something, Clinton. Who, who was the first? Who was that? Jennifer. Jennifer. And Phyllis, were you going to say something? Good. So Jennifer and then Phyllis. Thank you. Go ahead. Okay, cool. Yeah, so um, some of us trainers have formed a gremlin club where we are experimenting and researching and today we brought in um, the, the research we're doing on the cycle of addiction with AA and putting it into possibility management terminology using the cycle and yeah, it's it's really cool what we're discovering by by transferring this map from one map into the PM map and, and what we're noticing in this um, the way that people are addicted to the to the to their the execution of their shadow principles. Are you willing yeah. to speak in the I form? Are you speak yes. in the I form? Go ahead. Start again. Yes. 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 So it's it's fascinating how I deliver and execute my shadow principles and how there is an addictive behavior in this and to transfer the AA thought map of the addiction cycle into PM terminology has been really fascinating yeah so this is what we've been working on and experimenting with this week and I wanted to share that Thank you. I feel really glad. I just wanted to add a note how it's been far more common than we ever thought discovering that us human beings enmesh our gremlin ego state into our adult ego state as a survival strategy. And because then as a child, you bring your gremlin in and it seems fun, it seems playful, you have power, you can, you can make agreements and lie and break your promises and interrupt and destroy things and, and be mean or be, be stupid or and it all doesn't really matter. And you're safe, you stay safe, the, the adults can't get a grip on you. The teachers, they just can't do something to you and you and it protects you all through your childhood. And then when you when you start wanting to become adult, you find that that space is taken over by gremlin and it's pretty solidly in there. For example, myself, I was almost 50 years old before I discovered that my gremlin had 
inhabited my adult ego state space about 80%. And nobody explained it to me. Nobody had these maps yet. And, and nobody had the tools for what to do with it. So it took me a couple of years just to get the first behavior out. The way that we're finding is that you can take one behavior at a time from your gremlin ego state and put it from your and put it back in the gremlin ego state. So here it is in your adult ego state. And in my case, for example, I think I better mention this. I had this this uh, kind of cynical, insulting, joking around with a smile on my face all the time. It was just all the time. And when I finally got enough feedback from people, I could. I could take that one behavior and take it out of, out of my adult ego state and put it in my gremlin ego state where it belonged. And then I would let go and it would bounce right back into my gremlin ego state up here. So it took almost two years for me to get that one behavior to stay in the gremlin ego state where it belonged. And finally I could let go, it would stay there and I could go to the next behavior, this superiority thing or this, um, this uh, um, uh, kind of competition thing, like and then one at a time, you can take them out and put them in there and nobody can do this for you. And if you don't do it, it won't happen. And you will not be able to rest in your adult ego state, be present in your adult ego state, and then have access to the archetypal states. You won't have access if you can't clean out your adult ego state. So I'm glad Jennifer, that you mentioned that. Thank you. And it's such important work. And it isn't in the book at all, really, um, because it's pretty new discovery that we could say it so clearly in what the procedure is. Yeah, Phyllis, go ahead, please. I've been exploring with um, fear, like lots of small fear. Uh, Phyllis, we're getting huge ocean waves in the background and you're faded out. It seems like you're, there's a connection problem right now. Using my conscious anger to Can you hear me? No, I don't yeah. think we're here. No, we're not hearing you. You can't. Can you check back later? Can you just uh, at the next at the next thing? Could you share that? Or write it on the chat. Yeah, write it on the chat. Are you in a boat? Looks like you're in a I, boat. She's yeah. sailing. She's sailing. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I don't know how to. I don't know how to write. I don't know how to send it. <laughs> well, tr speak again right now. So we can hear you pretty good right now. Can you go ahead? There's there's an an engine on right now. So that's probably what you're hearing. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can still hear you. Go ahead. Okay. So I've been experimenting with my small fears no. around anger to what oh yeah so i'm using my conscious anger to kind of um overcome those fears oh 
phew, the motor just went off. <laughs> Good. Now we're sailing. <laughs> um, and I've also noticed that you mentioned competition, and I also noticed that I'm that I'm doing that. So I'm I'm experimenting with um, when I notice that I'm I'm in that state. I'm experimenting with questioning rather than you know the, the competition. I think comes from fear also. So I'm still I'm exploring the fear mm. that is in that competition and trying to kind of get to the root of that. And. And my intention is instead of instead of the competition thing, which can lead to arguing, it's it's going to be to ask questions. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. We, I'd like to hear from one more person. Does somebody else have something like that? Some check in about what you're up to. I see Fauna and Lisa. Let's let's go with that. Fauna and Lisa. Yeah, I might have mentioned this last time. I can't remember, but um, I am experimenting with um, noticing my emotions when they come up and when I have resistance to feeling them. That's something that's very common for me to have a lot of resistance, especially with like negative emotions. Um, and then I just accept the emotion and like l tell the part that's resisting that it's okay that I don't need to resist that nothing bad will happen if I let myself feel the emotion and then it relaxes and I can just feel it and it's kind of hard to catch all of the times where I'm resisting but I'm getting better at it and um, the the process is getting a little bit more um, natural I guess like automatic um, yeah and I want to keep being conscious about it though because sometimes when I do things like this I'll I'll forget that I'm doing anything at all and then like it it kind of fades away into the background so I, I want to like keep up a journaling practice around it so that I remember to keep doing it every day um, and then the other thing I wanted to share was uh, I I broke up with my partner of three years just a month ago and uh, I cut off contact with him for a month and just the past couple of days I've been talking to him again and we've sort of been talking about our relationship and it's really revealed a lot of my shadow world to me that I had not known anything about before um, and kind of sent me into somewhat of a liquid state and I'm excited to uh, look back at the notes that I took on our conversation and like uh, sort of understand more about my shadow world and maybe build some kind of map or something. Yeah, that's all I have to share. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. That's great. Lisa, will you talk? Yes. Um, I have been sitting in a space of observation for a while around um, getting feedback uh, about myself being a threat um, and I am just been sitting in a space of observation around that uh, and feel a great deal of confusion um, and I 
I feel like I start to make up stories about it. Um, and I feel also a real confusion about or indecision and lack of clarity about how, how to act and be in that moment, whether the, there is something to deliver, perhaps on an archetypal level, perhaps it puts me in a position of replicating some other kind of oppressive structure that I don't necessarily agree with in order to stand for what's right in a situation. Um, and I feel sad about that. Um, I feel also a space around um, uh, a lack of connection and being seen myself instead being seen in the shadow space of someone else mm. and i am really uh, both sad and angry about that and i feel some strategies coming up where i have to protect myself possibly at times um really connected in a bright way with the shadow with an intention of shifting it into a lighter space and seeing it positively almost as a defensive strategy for myself um and i think that's about all i have to say about it right now could everybody take a deep breath please just take a deep breath I would like to share that I'm, I feel very glad to hear how much self-observation and noticing is going on. What you guys are reporting, the self-observation and noticing, I, I can't stress enough how valuable that is, has proven to me, it's proven to me so valuable and others as a basis of living, as a basis of, of being alive. And so I just feel so glad that we're using that. I hear you talking about using your attention, you're using your attention to notice what you're doing with your attention, you're paying attention to your attention. And this is how you notice. And then you see so many things that would go by if you weren't noticing what you were noticing. When you simply notice a thing, you're kind of identified with the thing and then it, it goes by. We're, we're kind of hooked into the movie and it goes by. But if you notice what you're noticing, then you're starting to do self-observation. And self-observation is crucial to the evolution of consciousness. It's, it's an expansion of awareness. What, you know, and the way you do it is you have to split a part of your attention off, which is a capacity that we human beings have. We, can, we are able to split our attention. I use this example of, I, you know, I can drive down the street on my bicycle. That takes some, some attention, but I could be listening to music at the same time. So this is another part of my attention. And I could be chewing gum at the same time. That's three. And then I can be thinking about my shopping list. It's four. And I can be scanning um, the uh, babes on the sidewalk. This is five. You know, I mean, I can split my attention five ways 
easy. We all were trained to do that. And all we're asking here is to split once, you know, split off, take a part of your attention, stick it outside your box, turn it around and have it look at what you're looking with. You're looking at the thing that you're looking with or your place you're looking from. You're, and so this all, and there's no, the, th the point of that is to have it be neutral with absolutely no judgment about what you notice. You simply notice, only notice. And the noticing builds matrix, the noticing builds, builds a capacity to observe, to see, to be. And what, what happens then is you, what I find is I get to be more present. And, and gosh, life goes by fast enough if, and you have to be present to win. This is a little thing I heard from E.J. Gold, but it's like a, it's like a, one of these uh, raffle tickets. You know, if, you, if you're not, you, have, you might have a raffle ticket, but when they call your number, if you're not right there and say, that's me, if you're not right there, you don't get the prize. So you have to be present to win. So that's the same thing with, so, and so Lisa, what I was, I was saying was, as you become more present, there's a, a side effect which every one of us has to face, which is that as you become more present and notice more things and notice what's noticing in you, you also notice what other people are noticing. You see what they're doing with their attention and you become formidable. You become threatening. You can be perceived as threatening simply because you're so present. How many people have had that experience? Did you ever have that experience that people perceive you as threatening just because you see so much? Yeah, thank you. And so it's something that maybe they don't tell you about along the path, but you have to contend with it. You have to contend with being perceived as, as formidable and threatening just because you notice what's happening. You're not deluded so much. You're not naive. You're not sleeping. You're not letting things go by. And so, Lisa, I was just suggesting to maybe give yourself a little more benefit of the doubt and not try to frame up your, your experience politically, to frame it up more simple, in a more simple way, to just simply, yeah, if, if, I'm, if I see stuff and I'm can name stuff and I'm present and I'm with, if I can be with somebody and I'm not letting things slide by, some people will freak out about it. And so, for, I mean, you can let them have their problem. Let them have their problem. Whose problem is it? You don't, ha you don't have to go away when somebody thinks you're threatening. You can just stay there and say, gosh, I'm probably other things in addition to that. So, I mean, not only that, I'm also um, dangerous. I ask dangerous questions and I'm also um, not easily hypnotized. I'm also committed to something bigger than my ego's mere survival. I mean, you can go, you can just make a list of what, a, what an amazingly horrible person you are and, and stand there really stand in it stand there as a force of nature let and let it let it cruise through you because it's true it is true like human beings when they 
when you put your point of origin into the extraordinary, you become a force of nature. And, and in a way, that's what this is all about. This is what, this is the path that we're on because we're designed to function in connection with the archetypal and represent that, like to be that in our daily life. That's what radiant joy, brilliant love is. This is that's what that is. It's it's like the, the German title for that book is True Love in Everyday Life. And this is what, what we're talking about is archetypal love in everyday life as a force of nature, because it's a force of nature. Yeah. And just shift identity. You're not a you just you don't get to be an ordinary person anymore. You don't get to be, I don't know. I see Ethna and Ethna's got this, this crown on her head. Can you see that? She's just, it's like a tiara or she's this goddess, queen goddess. And so this is what we're designed for. I think next week we should all come dressed up as warriors and princes and, and magicians and sorceresses and things like that and, and talk to each other like that. Because really we are that. We're just pretending to be normal, we're pretending to be... Mm, acceptable you know we're pretending to fit into the crowd and not get selected out to be a witch and burned at the stake again but these days you don't have to worry about that so much these days you can take the risk to really be what you are in public so um gosh okay what a great way to say hello to each other does anybody have to say anything else before i start reading Um, Maria. I am building a path to the extraordinary and it's really painful. Here's, um, it's like bushwhacking through thorns. Because there's a way to, um, I feel that there's a way to understand how to get there. And I find myself there accidentally a lot, or just like, like I wasn't in my center. It's like, it happens sometimes when I'm driving, like I'll drive and then I'll be like 10 miles down the road and I will have not even noticed how I got there. Like I was in my head or something. And if I get to the extraordinary by accident, I don't know how to get back there when I end up back in the ordinary. So there's this like, just really painful process of like bushwhacking through stories, like just going through the, through the, through the path that's uncharted and creating that space. And it's, it's just taking every piece of me right now. And I'm really glad about it and also miserable. <laughs> so that's what's going on over here. Hmm. I'd like to simply confirm that what you're describing is an accurate description in my in my experience and I see some other people nodding also that it's it's not a fantasy that you're in it's not a victim conversation it really is like that so and I just um, try to not do it so often when you're driving do it do it other times. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing that. 
it's, it's amazing also how everything we've been just talking about ties in so much to what I'm about to read. I'm on page 67 of Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love. And I think it's the same page on in the Building Love That Lasts book. I'm, I haven't checked that out, but I think it's the same page. And the section is called Your Rite of Passage. And I, I mentioned before how I've been shying away from using the phrase rite of passage because it insinuates that after a, a single event that you become something different than what you are. And I've, I don't use that phrase anymore because it's not my experience. That's not my experience. My experience is the path of evolution has a beginning. It's when you, when you discover that modern culture has an edge or you discover that transformation is possible or you discover that you are more than your mind or you discover that it's okay to feel. There's so many ways to find the beginning of the path. Usually when you find it, you don't, it's, it's, you make a sacrifice. There's a, it's the, and, the, and there's these 18 sacrifices that are made along the path, but the first sacrifice is number zero. And it's called number zero because it's a sacrifice that you cannot make yourself. It's a sacrifice that's done to you by coincidence, by accident, by some good friend of yours who wants to share the most important thing that they ever discovered in their life with you and you get what they're talking about. It, you know, it could happen from reading a book or watching a video or having, you know, seeing a sunset and, and thinking that the sunset takes three hours and it only took three minutes and being in this altered space or whatever. There's these, there's these ways that the path begins and then it doesn't end. So, to me, it seems more like a series of ongoing adulthood initiatory processes. So I'll be trying to substitute that phrase as we go along in the book that this is authentic adulthood initiatory processes. And, and that's what this section is starting to talk about. So here I go. Rather than initiating you into duplicating what has traditionally been done in the past, uh, a next culture initiatory process initiates you into the ability to redirect human cultures of the present into a sustainable future, regenerative future. The following are some hints and suggestions about what might be involved in a next culture initiatory process and a series of next culture initiatory processes. One must keep in mind that there can be no guaranteed standard formula for an initiatory process that is also authentic. Authenticity is not standardizable. This is, so automatically we're out of school. Automatically this, the whole school system fails because it's based on a curriculum. So that's what this is saying is it, it's in a lot, and, and then another difficult part is who, who amongst us, I mean, who amongst the human race can cause and hold and navigate authentic initiatory spaces that are, that are evolutionary, that are not coming from a standardizable curriculum? And I would suggest that it's a lot of you. 
a lot of you are those people with the capacity to generate and navigate transformational processes for other people. So I, I'm inviting you to consider um, checking yourself out for a, an identity shift, an identity shift to become, to take yourself to like, to, to regard yourself as one of the people who can cause and hold and navigate initiatory spaces for others. And so this might be a stretch. For some of you, it might be a stretch. And for some of you, something might relax in you when I say that and go, well, yeah, yes, of course, this is, this is what I'm here for. And for some of you, it might seem a little far-fetched. And at the same time, the, the calls that we're having here, this study group, this space that we're in every week these times is like, is this is that kind of space. And if you can tolerate the intensity of it, if you start deriving some nutrition out of the things that happen in, in this space, if you're deriving food from it, then you're in trouble because you need to learn to make your own food. You know, pretty soon, once a week for a couple hours is not enough. And not only that, you might want a chili dog and we're serving you know, sauerkraut dog. And so you need to create a different space than what's being offered right here. And, and I think you get what I'm saying. So you will, you will be, your archetypal lineage will push you along the path of creating these spaces for other people to go on their initiatory processes. And it won't be the same as, as my space or this space it will not be the same. And people are waiting for you to show up and offer that because they don't like this space. They want your space. They want you. They want you to go ahead and take a stand for a study group or a possibility team or a rage club or a fear club or um, a research team, you know, to build a, a team around you to go on the journey together. And, and they're waiting for you. Have, every single one of you here has a circle of people around you waiting for you to take that stand so they can be in your circle. So you might think that you have a, a weird little hobby where you come in and there's this amazing group of people and you just kind of hang out with them for an hour or two on, on Mondays and then that's it. And what I'm saying is by now you've been here long enough that there's some kind of pattern forming where if you can if you can tolerate the intensity and derive nutrition from this kind of a conversation, sooner or later, it's time for you to also take a stand for creating that space for other people. And this is, how many people are doing that already? How many people are already taking a stand for other people to be in? Yeah, cool. Super. Yes. See, see, I'm not making it up. It's really happening like that. And other people don't be, don't be shy about trying it. Really, don't be shy. Just go ahead and say, you know, this is, I'm going crazy, but I'm having a, a meeting tonight at my house. You want to come over? Or we're having an online team. Do you want to join? And, and just see where it goes. You know, there's, there's 211 sparks you can use for an amazing mm, context setting material. There's, there's 
360 some websites online you can use for context setting material. So just, you don't have to come up with that stuff, but you do have to make and hold and navigate the space for people to go through that. And it's, I, I encourage you to do that sooner rather than later. I remember the first uh, public talk I gave was in, in Santa Rosa, California. And the guy who was telling me to do it, he said, you need to, he, everybody in our group, he said, you, I was in his group and he said, you need to have a public talk. And so what is it gonna be about? And so what came out of my mouth was, I'm gonna do a talk on science fiction and spiritual work. So I made up this map, it's an, like an A4 size paper and I stuck it around the town and I borrowed a bank, a room in a bank in the evening on Thursday evening at 7.30. I set up this space in the town, it was in a bank. So it had room for about 35 people and I couldn't believe it, but we had probably who was like my teacher guy, the guy who was holding space for me, he was in the back corner just helping to hold space. and so. It was near Christmas time, and so I, I bought this large banana squash. You can get these huge, they're like 10, 15 kilo squashes in America. It's a kerbis, it's a squash, and it's long and it's pink. And I built out of wood uh, a cradle like Jesus had when he was in the manger, and I filled it with straw, and I put this banana squash in there, and I had it next to me at the front of the talk. And then I said it was, what this is, is my bullshit detector. So... So as I was talking and some people would say bullshit, I would reach over and the thing would start shaking. The squash would just start wiggling back and forth like this. And it would happen when I was talking too. My hand would go over there and I would, it would shake the squash. So people started to trust the bullshit detector, even me. So I didn't, I don't remember what I said. It was really scary. But uh, this, some of the people there were friends in the circle and some of the people were from the bank. You know, people from the bank had come to see this talk because they were interested in science fiction and spiritual work. And one of the ladies, she finally is break. She's like, who are you people? Like some of you people are in some group or so who are you people? So she demanded everybody in, in the in the whole thing say, are you in the group or where are you? Everybody. And so it gets back to the to the guy who's holding the space, who's, who's like the guy who's holding my my circle. The guy who asked me to give the talk and it comes back to him she goes who are you and he says i'm the janitor which i'm the housemeister i'm the guy who's going to clean up the mess if he makes a mess i'm going to clean it up and it was true i mean i could count on him backing me up in this space so at the end of the talk i pulled out this big knife and i cut the squash in half and these squash they have a, an empty place inside and i said this is real air inside of the squash it's the real air because you know, the air out here has been produced by automobiles and manufacturing plants with all kinds of toxins and stuff in it. But the air inside of the squash is the pure original air. So if you, I went around the room and I would open up the squash and people could sniff the real air. And I got to this lady who asked the question, she goes, she goes, you know, the air out here is just fine for me. I'm not gonna, and right then I was able to fart. So I had, to being able to fart on command is a trainer skill. You have to, you have to keep one in reserve. That's the trick. You just keep a fart in reserve. So when you need them to really make an exclamation point in your speaking, you have one reserve. I had this, this was saved up for the whole hour and a half I was talking. So I let out this huge fart. And of course, then she smelled the, the real air inside. So anyway, 
So, so all I'm saying is, you, um, I'm, I thought the whole thing would be insane or didn't work or I don't know, but it, it did work. I mean, and I, I'm just asking you to do, just to cut loose, really cut loose and just t give the kind of talk that you would want to come to. Talk about the stuff that interests you. You, know, you don't even have to know what you're talking about. In fact, that's the best kind of talk to give is to talk about the stuff that you, that you want to hear about, that you don't already know about. And so there's a, a website I built called uh, um, how, to, how to Give a Work Talk. So work talk is simply a talk where you have some exercises in it. And uh, where, so it's not just people thinking, they actually can go in partners and have a five or 10 minute experience during your talk, which adds an element that we call it a work talk. But I, I encourage you to do that because it, it helps to build your circle, helps to open the door to let people come to you and let the bright principles go through you to them. Let the, let, and so you can be of service. You can actually work. You can actually do the work that you came here to do. And if you don't have a circle of people around you, you, you can't. So I really encourage you to, to step forward and just start doing that. And I'm trying to say you can't really make a mistake during that because the bright principles are there your um, archetypal lineage is there. There's a lot of forces at work to encourage you. And there's nothing we need more now than possibility and clarity and like opening sideways doors into the spaces where people are stuck. People still think they need money to live. People still think they need a job. People are in survival. They really need you to open those doors for them. Okay. That was just between two sentences. That's. This is a very concentrated book. So I, I just filled in the gap in these two sentences. Here we go. One must keep in mind that there can be no guaranteed standard formula for a, an initiatory process that is also authentic. Authenticity is not standardizable. Even with long practiced and well-informed skills, the elders leading traditional rites of passage, they lose about 10% of their candidates. I'm, I'm not sure if you've studied this or researched it, but in the traditional indigenous rites of passage into adulthood, they lose 10%. Lose meaning they die. It turns out, I don't know if I mentioned this, but it turns out that that's how the tribe protects itself from psychopaths. About 3% of humanity is born with a disconnect between the mind and the heart. And when that's disconnected, then we can, we, we have no compassion. We have no conscience. The conscience is broken when there's a disconnect between the mind and the heart, for example. So you can just look at basically every politician and you go, yep, psychopath. And even Obama, for example, you look at him and he starts talking from his heart and you go, God, finally a politician who talks from his heart. And then his actions come from his mind. They come from the, this other part. There's no connection between the two. So he's a real sly psychopath. And he's going around giving talks these days, but it's still a psychopath. So in any case, the traditional indigenous cultures protect themselves from the, the psychopaths because they don't make it through their rite of passage into adulthood. They die. And I discovered this in Munich because 
I found a, a beautifully carved board in the Polynesian Museum in Munich. And the board was about a little less than two meters long, beautifully hand carved. And I, I go, God, what is that? And I went over and I read the little description. And it's, it was the board that the villagers used to carry back the dead bodies of their children who failed their rite of passage into adulthood. They would honor, it had such a respect and honor, but it was everybody knew it was part of the deal. That's what is meant by a formidable rite of passage. And so I forget which of you mentioned it, but in, to, today when you were, I guess it was Maria, when you were mentioning how everything's falling apart, this is how it goes. One piece at a time, everything falls apart and it, it just crashes and that's how it goes. And so just, it's important to be in held spaces. It's important to be with a team when that stuff is happening. And it's important to know you're not going crazy but it really is like that. The parts crash and burn and something else is possible then. I continue reading. An initiation must be unique, meaning not standardizable, so as to ignite each individual's unquenchable inspiration for providing their unique contributions to the village. At the same time, modern rites of passage, excuse me, at the same time, next culture rite of passages have some common characteristics. That's what I'm saying. So this section is about what is the, what is the initiation process? What is it? To begin with, this book that you have in your hands is a fairly decent map of what is involved in authentic adulthood initiatory process from child to adulthood. This is not a nice book. This book requires you to start where you are with a clear assessment of what you are up against if you are going to try to grow up. So here's a big hint, it says, finish reading the book. Even if some parts of it make you angry, sad, or scared, and you find a really good reason for putting the book down, you will see what I mean as you get into the book further to further chapters. After you finish reading this book, consider reading it again. The second time through seems to significantly help in di digesting what was read the first time. You might even form a study group for discussing and implementing the ideas in this group. Dot one. I an initiatory process is a period of time during which you will undertake certain experiences or experiments to change your relationship to the world, to yourself, to your community, and to what is possible for you. The changes involved are not merely changes in intellectual understanding. The changes will include shifts of context, meaning shifts in where you come from, shifts in what you perceive with. These kinds of changes can take long periods of preparation and then occur quite suddenly. Although parts of your initiatory processes will be minutes, hours, or days long, 
plan to spend at least two years seriously engaging the, the, the beginning initiation processes for yourself. What gets initiated during these two years could involve commitments or practices that continue for the rest of your life. The next dot. I mean, I just want to add that that's why in the programs that possibility management is offering, there's, uh, we're recommending people just at the front commit to doing 10 labs to expand the box training and a few times during the time and do 10 labs because the, the, the shortest time you can do that is two years. That's a very short time. So, but you get the idea that it isn't a, an aha experience. It's more like multiple renditions of the death and resurrection show, each one being even more profound than the next in a way. And the thing with the death and resurrection show is, is how it's, it doesn't seem, it's not guaranteed. It does not seem guaranteed that something happens after the death part. The resurrection part is, does not feel guaranteed. In, you can see this, this scene in the Harry Potter movie where the phoenix bird just bursts into flame and there's nothing left but ashes. And, but then Harry Potter is a little arrogant, I would think, because he, he, he assumes that the next baby phoenix bird will come out of the ashes. Of course it does, but that assumption is fickle. Let's call it fickle. It's not, it's not predictable. It's not really, you can't count on the ashes. I mean, I think we, a few weeks ago, we were talking about self-composting. And, and really this process of self-composting is, is getting comfortable in the ashes like that. It's, it's becoming a worm or a mole or somebody who lives in, in, the, in the compost, somebody who lives in the compost or thrives in the compost. I mean, we're all human beings, so, so what we have in common is this compost. We have this thing in common. And so I, I, it's, if you're in a liquid state, you can look around at the shopping mall, go in the shopping mall, and you'll see 30% of the people are in liquid states. A lot of them don't know it, but they are. They have this mask on or makeup on or they're talking all the time, blah, 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 blah. But if you, if you check their heart, check out their energetic body, they're in this liquid state. And then you can feel this connection. I feel this huge connection with, with these people in the liquid state. And I go, ah. And you can talk. You should try this if you want. When you're in, a, you're in line at the grocery store or you're just walking through the, the mall or whatever, you're walking down the street and you see somebody in one of these liquid states, talk to the liquid state from your liquid state. Just say, just let it speak. It'll say something like, holy simoleons. I never saw that coming. Did you? You know, and, and they'll know exactly what you're talking about. And you will never have seen this person before, but you just, you just say that stuff and they'll go, hell yes, God, I never saw it coming. And then you just go, God, nice talking to you and just walk on. You know, you don't have to make anything out of it. But I encourage you to do those kind of experiments so you can see that a lot of the people are really are in these liquid states and are just not aware of, they're not consciously um, uh, 
experiencing it, they didn't, like for example, they didn't pay to go to a possibility lab and enter a liquid state. They didn't pay for their, their liquid state. It's one of these accidental sideways liquid states. And I don't know how well they'll make use of it. Usually people patch together the old way. There's a great little website that you should take a look at if you want called Three Phase Healing. It's the number three, and then it's spelled phasehealing.mystorycomedy.com, and it explains how the usual way we, we go into an illness and, and try to get better is two-phase. And the two-phase healing is, um, I got sick, you know, and then put me back how I was the old way. And then you get sick, and then you try to get put back together the old way. And that's that's the ordinary concept of how an, an illness is. We try to put ourselves back. You go to the psycho psychotherapist, you know, and say, put me back together the old way. Well, three-phase healing is you get sick, and then you go through this process, and you get put back together in some other way. You come back together in a new way. The illness is the liquid state. It's the shift state between one condition and another condition, what's in between is the illness. And so it's not, it's, it changes your relationship to the illness from it being bad or something's wrong as being, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm transforming. And it's a three phase thing where you start in this shape, go through this meltdown thing and you come back in a different shape. So you're not trying to put your back stuff back together, the original shape, let yourself unfold new features through this illness. So it's just called three-phase healing, and it's a useful uh, way of understanding also initiatory processes, that you will, you will take a new shape. And the, the cool thing about this, totally magical, this thing about taking a new shape, is that when your being takes a new shape, you force the universe to interact with you differently. Because the universe automatically responds to your shape. I think we mentioned this in relationship in the first week when your experiment is to grab yourself somebody to do these partnership or, or relationship experiments with that if echo which is the earth coincidence control office has has left you on a shelf has not put you in relationship with somebody for a while it's because your shape is boring probably your shape is not interesting your shape is kind of uh it doesn't have an application so so go through, so just throw yourself into horse riding, you know, or, or knife throwing or blowgun stuff or, or um, judo or um, um, what's that? Capoeira, you know, something. Throw yourself into something where that will change your shape. Throw yourself into something transformational that will, will give your being a different shape. Learn a new skill. Um, commit to something, make a decision, get rid of all this shit in your basement and your attic, like, do something that changes your shape. And then all of a sudden, when the earth coincidence control office looks on the shelf, they go, God, where did that piece come from? It grabs you and just throws you into a, some kind of relationship experiment. So that's, so that's a strategy that works. Here's the next dot, a rite of, rite of passage. So an initiation from Boyhood to manhood or girlhood to womanhood is a journey. It is not a lone journey. Initiation is usually done in the company of peers and guided by older, 
more experienced men or women. Most of you reading this book may not even remember your 15th birthday party or 18th birthday party. Yet at that moment, like your 18th birthday party, you are structured to enter your, your initiatory processes into adulthood. At that point, 18 years old, you're, you're, ready, you're ready to decompose. You're ready to hit the, the meat grinder. You're ready to go through and hatch out of the chrysalis that's been protecting you throughout your whole childhood because you have enough in, inner, in, uh, innate, you have enough innate capacity for responsibility that when the eggshell cracks or the chrysalis rips open and you start getting out, you can take real responsibility in the real world when you're 18 years old about like that. So, so I have had the honor of being with, and I've changed the number from 15 to 18 because in my mind, 15 year olds are still in school. They still have to keep the show going. They can't do it. So really it's 18 years old. I have had the honor of being with 18 year old males and females in training spaces where they make the leap to enliven particular archetypal aspects in themselves. And the experience is unbelievable. The, the sudden transformations that can happen in properly conducted processes are clean and complete, far exceeding anything we know of from our ordinary course of education and even what is shown in the most exciting and inspiring of films. So this is not a lie. I could grab Aunt Chloe over here and she could tell stories too, but it's like when we, when we hit the right catalytic force at the right age, like at 18 years old, it happens so fast and it's completely stable. It's, it's really incredible. And most of us are older than 18 years old. So that's the next dot. It says, but most of us are probably 30 to 50 years old. And unlike an 18 year olds, we have some serious habits to contend with. Our thinking joints do not flex as noiselessly or painlessly as they once did. There is more sludge built up in the system. We are slower and heavier than we once were. This is as it is. At times, when contrary forces exert their resistance to your evolutionary steps, try to remember this. I'm just gonna say that again. At those times, when, when you have this resistance to your evolutionary steps inside of yourself, just remember, this should have happened when I was 18 years old or 19 years old, or 20 years old, and it did not. And it still works. It still works. It's just a little more painful. It's a little, you have to deal, there's some more sludge to deal with, some more extra calc that's, that's solidified. You have to crack yourself out of that. And it still works. So I'm reading again. It is never too late to begin initiatory, adulthood initiatory processes. Galileo. Galilee was 51 years old when he wrote Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems, the book that got him arrested for heresy. But it was his second book that reordered the world of science. You get that? So he was, he was, he was 51 years old when he wrote the first book, and it was his second book. So you guys, 
How many of you are writing books right now? How many of you are writing books right now? Not enough. Here's why I'm saying that. In this part of your journey, really important things are happening. Very important things. And you might think that you're that nobody else is interested, that it's too personal, that it's it's too much of, you know, everybody has to go through this or something. But what I'm saying is these steps that you're taking now are the ones that the guru types skip over in a way. You know, the teacher types out there, they talk from enlightenment. And and here you are in endarkenment, you know, and they're talking from enlightenment. And so there's not there's such a struggle, but this, the, the little treasures that you have now, the little, the tricks, the hints, the how, you know, like Maria was saying, she's just going to keep going. She's going to, and, and, and Lisa was saying, I'm going to pay attention or, or notice because you're talking, like these are the things that need to be in the books. These are the things that people need to hear. These are the things that produce the results. This is the clues and the support and the, People need, these are treasures. So I'm, I would really like it if more of you would be writing books. So this is, gosh, this is only, this is only September, October. You could have a book finished by the end of the year. How many people will have a book finished by the end of the year? Okay, I see two hands, three hands. That's, that's three more than I saw before. I, maybe there's somebody who could, could write it down on your paper. I commit to finishing my book by December 31st, 2020. And then just send me a copy, all right? Send me your PDF. Just send me a PDF of it. I'll be expecting your PDF of your manuscript. Don't worry about publishing. Don't worry about editing. Write the book. But November is National Book Writing Month. God, Americans, um, this is, you know, Tuesday is National Toothbrushing Day, whatever. So, <laughs> now write the book. There's a, we have a website called Write the Book and just go for it. We could start, start, see the thing is if you start a writer's group on WhatsApp, you'll have an excellent writer's group, but no books. So really, this is gonna, it's, I'm, Having written a couple books myself, I have to tell you, this is not really something you can share with another person, with, with people in general. You cannot, it is, yes, you can write books to people together, something like that, but if you don't put your ass in the chair and your fingers on the keyboard for four hours a day, you're not going to get the book done. And you just, nobody can do that for you unless you hire a pirate with a blunderbuss. They stand behind you with this gun. And they say, I'm going to blow your, your well, something off. I'm going, to, I'm going to shoot your birthday cake. I don't know. I'm going to step on your rose plants if you don't write today. So, so you, you, you can make pirate agreements with other people to do something really bad. You know, they, you have to pay me 40 euros because you did not write today or something like that. So you can make agreements with people to do that. Is We all have gremlins. We all have boxes. We all went to school where they said, Ooh, you cannot write. Ooh, you're not a good writer. Your writing is boring. Your writing is insufficient. You get a low grade in 
Okay. You have to you have to get through all that and actually write the thing. Okay. Thank you. I'm I'm glad we have four more books going to be written by the end of the year. I feel glad about this. All right. So Galileo, he didn't write his his book until he was 53 years old, and and Irina Tweedy, she was. She was, do people know who Irina Tweedy was? She was a Sufi. Anyway, she's got a great book out called The Child of Fire or something like that. Irina Tweedy. She was 52 years old when she first met her guide and started on her rite of passage that has helped so many people start on theirs. The book is Daughter of Fire. It exquisitely describes her journey. Yeah. I'm going to read one more section here and then check. Oops, just lost my place. To begin with, this is the next dot. To begin with, your initiatory processes to begin your initiatory processes. To begin your initiatory processes. Uh, Vera, do you have that? Um, yeah, Irina Tweedy. Yeah, and Daughter of Fire is the name of the book. This says to begin your initiatory processes, declare you are now beginning your rite of passage. You could be ridiculously bold and say that right now, out loud. I'm reading the book, so it's not even me saying this, okay? The guy who wrote the book says this, I'm just reading it. You could be ridiculously bold and say that right now you are officially beginning I, before you read the next paragraph, I state your full name, hereby declare that I am beginning or taking my next step in my initiatory processes into adulthood. It is best if you make no assumptions about already knowing what this could even mean. You can say it. Does anybody want to say that? I don't know. I don't know if you need to say it, but if you need to say it and you and you want to take just go ahead. You would say I state your name in full hereby declare that I am taking my next step in my rite of passage, my initiatory process into adulthood. Ich Ingrid Schmidthösen erkläre hiermit, dass ich meinen nächsten Schritt in die Erwachseneninitiation gehe. Thank you. You don't have to do it right now. You can just wait till tomorrow when you're standing in line at the post office and turn around to the person behind you and just say, you have to shout because you have to stand two meters away. And you say, you know, I, I am commit to taking my next step in my adulthood initiatory process. You just, they don't have to even understand what you're saying, but you say it in the space and they'll get it. Anybody else want to say that right now? Or something like that? Eu, José Vicente Pereira Justo Carneiro, declaro que eu estou tomando o meu próximo passo no meu rito de iniciação adulta. Obrigado, Vicente. Thank you. That was Portuguese, just in case.
Vera. Yes. Why are you smiling? I, Why are you smiling? Yeah. Uh, you turn uh, it off and come back sometime when you're not smiling. God. I am. I have. I feel joy about the V Center has been doing this. I do too. I know this guy a little bit. Vicente, I met him a little bit, and I've been always impressed by him. And so when he says he's taking a stand for doing his next step in his adulthood initiatory processes, I am thrilled. I am totally behind him. I totally get that he's going to do this. So. I, Vera Luisa David Lial Franco, take a stand for doing the next step of my initiatory processes for adulthood, for authentic adulthood and radical responsibility. Thank you. We, we know that if you don't say anything now, that does not mean you're not going to do it. We know that. So, but I just wanted to open up this wild space where if you wanted to say something like that in a group like this, you could do it. So it's a great experience. Anybody else right now? Go ahead, Maria. I, Maria Sisa Maayan, hereby declare that I am willing and ready to take my next step on the path to initiation into as an adult woman. I just need to refine it a little bit because you said you're willing and ready. This is about saying you do. I take. I take, I, Maria Sisamayan, will take, am taking my next step on the path to becoming an initiated an initiated adult woman. There's a lot of fear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? There is no initiated state. This, that's the thing that this is about. There isn't any final edition of Maria. There is not an initiated edition of Maria. It's just the path. And so it isn't, it isn't to become an initiated. You're already initiated. You've been initiated a bunch of times. You have a baby. For Christ's sakes, you have a baby. That is a, that's a huge initiation. You have so many initiations. Okay? This is only about taking your next step. And you're already on the path. You're on the path. So this is, this is just about taking your next step on the path. You know, sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes there's these cul-de-sacs, these little whirlpools where we get swept into delay mode and we have reasons and excuses and it's money and time and people dying or people getting born or all these things. Christmas is coming. You know, all this stuff is happening. I'm moving. Um, and then so it's like, yeah, and, yeah, and, and, and it's about, it's about not getting sucked into the cul-de-sac. It's not getting delayed. Just take the next step. You just turn your energetic body. You can take, you can spin your energetic body and let the let the obstacles flow by. If you if you get in your center and you just slowly spin your energetic body, when the obstacle comes, it just rolls right by you. If you spin, if you're not spinning, 
if you're not spinning your energetic body, it's still. And then the object comes and goes, <clears throat> you know, it stays on your shoulders. It lands on your head. It hits your heart and stays there. And then it's an obstacle. But if you make it a practice to just keep your energetic body spinning like this, then the stuff, these obstacles come and it just, they roll right by. You just keep moving. It's like what Brad Pitt says in World War Z, which is one of the mandatory movies on the list, by the way. But he says, keep moving. And you, those who keep moving survive. The ones who, who survive are the ones who keep moving. And so you just keep your energetic body rotating and the obstacles will roll by. This is a huge uh, useful skill to have. If you do, don't do that while you're driving at first, please, as you're driving, because you get a little dizzy when you first do it. But after a few days, you'll start getting used to it and it'll just go, ah, yeah. And then when people have an expectation on you or an insult or they have a projection, it just rolls right by and you can stay in connection with them. But you're not hooked. You don't, you don't have the burden landing on you. All right. So I said that after that dot, we would talk for a minute and that dot is over. So I'm going to pause for a minute in this what is anybody what what's coming up for people does anybody have anything you want to talk about or questions something you want to share about mark and then greenwood so mark first earlier you mentioned um resurrection and that that's not guaranteed. What's a way to uh, embrace the work? How do I embrace the work? What are you missing, Mark? Like, what are you looking for? What, do you, what do you think? My story, my story is that when I achieve a new mold, that what I hoped would result from that disappears. And so I go, oh, wow, this is a lot of work. And it's like, yeah, it's a lot of work. And I'm like, I cannot stay connected with why I'm doing this work. It I would encourage you to ask for one or two people to take you on an emotional healing process journey where you follow this subtle need for assurances or assurances of results, where you follow that back to its source. I think this is a, a precious doorway that you just found that with your question, you, you're, you're naming the doorway, but I think to answer the doorway without going through a process would be destroying, you know, a waste of a really good doorway. So I would encourage you to, you can even do it now to say, is there a couple of people who would take me through this process? You know how to do it. Are there a couple of people who would work with me on this process? I need to, I want to explore a door around my desire for assurances that success will be rewarded. 
I see Maria's hand and Ethna and Katrin and Callista. Somebody and Mar I, Maria, I got. Who? Uh, anybody else? Okay. Uh, and Nicole also. You had a great team there. Thank you. Yeah, you get, you know this. I used to not. I don't know that. There's this huge difference between education and training, and I later soon in the book I, I explain that, but. An educator, you know, somebody like Mark, who's really authentic and he needs an answer. He's standing in necessity right now. He has a need for, for this answer. And an educator would try to give him an answer. And, but a trainer would smell the fact that this is a doorway, a precious doorway to an authentic transformational process for Mark. And so, like, for, I don't get to play you know, the, the wise one, or when I don't get to play the one with the answer, you know, the one who knows, I don't get to play that. All I get to, I get to be the detector that says this, you just discovered a treasure, man. You just discovered part of your path that will open up a whole new thing. But don't say a thing and just have you go through the, pro I would love to go through the journey with you. I, you know, I'm smelling it's a big one. It would be amazing. You could write a whole book out of just that process, truthfully. And so, uh, yeah, thank you for doing that. Please please let us know how it goes, okay? What, what you figure yes. out. Okay, thank you. And I'm sorry, Miss Greenwood, I can't see your whole name on my screen. Oh. What is your name? Leslie. Leslie, go ahead. Um. Thank you. I want to say that I, Leslie Greenwood, am co um, commit to taking the next step in my initiatory process <clears throat> as an adult and uh, as a responsible human being. We just keep looking in the screen, just look in people's eyes and let it in, let this in. Let this come into you. Thank you. Don't say anything. Let it come in. Look in one person's face for 10 seconds and then somebody else. Thank you. Thank you. Jeff, what's stewing around in there? Where? You don't have to speak. But I wasn't wrong. Somebody else.
Door, go ahead. Hi, my name is Bill Sharabi. Can't hear you. you can get close to your mic. My name is Dor Sharabi. Can you hear me? Yes. And I'm fully committed. And wait, wait, wait. Dor, don't overdo it. You don't have to exaggerate. Okay. okay. Committed is enough. You don't have to be fully committed. Okay, go ahead. My name is Dor Sharabi. I'm committed and I am taking the next step in my evolutionary adulthood process. Thank you. Eva, we're going to see you in Portugal. I hope because of COVID, I really hope we see I see you in Portugal. I think you'll make it. I will. Just start walking now. Ja, Eva Wichmann, robię kolejny krok w inicjację prawdziwą, odpowiedzialną dorosłość. Thank you. I was Polish, everybody. Thank you. Ja cię słyszę. Thank you. Thank you. I'm about to start reading again. Well, I don't know. We have, look. We're going to end the formal meeting now. If people have to go, go. But I still, I want to read the next section or two anyway. So here I go. If you have to leave, thank you for being here. And I'll read the next dot or two and see how it goes. It's a, it's a proposal. This next part is a proposal. And the proposal is that you start regularly meeting with others in the name of your adulthood initiatory processes. So you're meeting as the purpose is to support that in the name of that. You're coming together for that reason, to share that. If you are a man, get together with a few other men, women gather with a few other women, and etc. And in your coming together, try to discover what bonding is. Try to discover what bonding is. <clears throat> the people in your circle do not need to be your friends. In fact, it may need to be that, that most of the others are complete strangers to you. Your friends could well be in a completely different evolutionary swing from you, and perhaps you have used your feet-dragging friends as an excuse to procrastinate long enough. Women have particularly difficult difficulty in bonding, a phenomenon that is easily dismissed in a patriarchy. 
women do not trust each other enough to bond, being far more committed to competing against each other for power and favors from men. For women, getting through your deep-seated fear and hatred of your seductive sisters will involve breathtaking feats of trust. You will never encounter by accident the immense quantity of trust required, no matter how long you wait. So what this says is it will take breathtaking feats of trust because you won't find it just by accident. <clears throat> Shadowy fears will always lurk in the dark recesses of your imagination. Storing fears is what imagination is for. Bonding enough to go through your initiatory processes together will involve trusting the other women, and I would say and men, in spite of your fears. Trust is a decision that you make. So this is a huge distinction. Oftentimes we think of trust as a feeling that we will have. So we wait around in order to, before we make a decision, before we commit, we wait around to see if we get this feeling called trust. And what we look for is we look, look for some kind of warm, fuzzy sensation, some kind of nostalgic security sensation. So we look, we, we look around for the sensation for trust, but we also look around for evidence of, of trust, like reasons why we should trust. So I'll trust him if he holds the door open for me. I'll trust her if she shows up on time for our date. I'll, I'll trust him if he remembers my birthday. I'll, I'll trust her if she does not criticize my clothing. What things, all these, we're looking for evidence. So we're looking both for the sensation of trust and the evidence of trust. And if we don't have those, we think we cannot trust then. So what, what this little sentence is suggesting is, what if you reconsider trust as simply a decision that you can make? You can choose to trust or not trust. You can choose to trust or you can choose to not trust, regardless of the sensation that you're having, regardless of the evidence or the circumstances. If you, if you do this experiment, if you change the way you relate to trust, you get power to trust in circumstances that your box would be freaking out, your psychology would freak out, your mother would freak out. But you can trust, uh, you can trust in, in, in circumstances that seem not trustworthy to ordinary society or not trustworthy to uh, your father, who was an accountant, or not, you know, you can trust in circ so you free yourself from so many constrictions to what you can trust. And if you do this experiment of choosing or choosing not to trust, you, you will maybe sometimes make a mistake. It's possible that you make a mistake. I chose to trust, and it didn't work. Okay, all right, what happened is you learned something. And what happened is, is your trust sensor, your, the thing that you're using to, to, to choose to trust gets more refined, gets more educated, 
it develops more. So you're developing the skill in yourself of choosing to trust or not trust instead of waiting around as a victim for some sensation of trust or circumstances of trust. So this is very cool stuff. When I first started experimenting with this, I had this friend who was a kind of a rogue. He was a, he paid no taxes. He was growing weird fruits and drugs in his garden. He didn't work. He would take food out of the garbage cans. He uh, had a free life. And this, this thing, this, this guy, my box, which was a good boy box, would not trust at all ordinarily. And so, so I did an experiment. I decided to trust him. And I, we became friends. And I, I couldn't believe that I had a rogue, really, this guy, this scoundrel. He was kind of a scoundrel. As a friend of mine, it blew my mind that I, Clinton Callahan, could have this nice guy, could have a scoundrel pirate, like rule-breaking rogue as a, as a friend of mine. It just didn't fit. And it was amazing. It was fantastic. It was a, a complete new relationship to the world. So it puts your two feet on the ground in a new way when you can choose to trust or choose not to trust. And, you, and what you end up doing is starting to trust your ability to take care of yourself around other people. And that's where all these skills from Expand the Box training and this book are useful. That It's these skills about feeling your feelings, saying yes, saying no, feeling your fear, feeling your anger, um, um, making boundaries and changing your mind, asking for a do-over. Like all these skills that you learn, they help you trust yourself to take care of yourself, even around scoundrels. So you can, I remember I did this experiment, it really freaked me out. I, I don't know how old I was, probably, I was close to 27 years old, I think 28 maybe. I had never been in a bar before. You know, I, you see the bars in the movies, you know, like, starting from Western cowboy movies all the way up to, to Brad Pitt movies. So anyway, you see the bars in the movies and then, but I'd never been in one. So one, one day I was waiting at a train station in Germany uh, and I had a two hour layover in Hamburg or someplace. And I was, I was sitting and I just decided to do this experiment. I just walked into a bar. And, you know, you can smell the rancid beer and the cigarette smoke and the, the barf, you know, people throw up, you know, you can, these are, it's the bar smell, the greasy sweat, you know, people will go in there with unwashed clothes and it stinks, you know. So, and these, these, these underworld creatures are hanging around in there, like for real, not just, not just ones on the movie screen. These are real ones and they're, they're addicts, you know, and who knows what. And I, I ordered a bubbly water or something. You know, I, I was, I was sweating. I was embarrassed. I could, I can, I can even feel it now. I'm kind of had this embarrassment feeling of being scared out of my pants going in there. I, you know, and I didn't order a beer or anything. I ordered a, a soda water, and then I sat there, looking, just looking at the people and being in there, breathing. I think my main practice there was breathing, just to, just to breathe. So I see if I could take care of myself in the bar. Right after that, I go, oh, I could do this. So I, I walked out and I went around the corner and I went into one of these 
sex paraphernalia shops where they have these little cubicles where you can go in and watch triple X rated films in private. And I, I walked into there for my next experiment. So anyway, what I'm saying is you can, you can learn to trust yourself to take care of yourself around not ordinary circumstances. And this frees you up from automatically going away, like going back from doors that open or possibilities that are open or making those kind of openings for other people. Because as I said, we have this box, we'll talk about it soon in the book, but we have this box and you come up to the edge of the box and that's your safety zone, comfort zone. And if fear is not okay with you, if you have to have a sensation of trust or the experience of trust and you don't have it, then you'll have this fear and it will automatically make you go back. So here's the universe, echo comes up, you know, wants to introduce you to some guy or some woman or somebody, and yet, yet you have this automatic reaction from your box that says, well, I don't trust this or I don't see the evidence for this. And you, you feel this fear and you automatically go back. So then you cannot accept the invitation that's being offered to you by the universe. So then the universe can't work you. It cannot work you, it can't, cannot work with you, cannot make offers that you accept. When, you, when the universe makes you an offer and you accept it, you roll with it. You roll into it. You go, yes, and. Instead of saying no and going back, you go, yes, and I'm paying attention. Yes, and I get to choose. Yes, I'm watching out. Yes, I, I trust myself to take care of myself. And at any instant, I can say no. I can say, go left, go right. I can say, stop. I can say, go. So you trust yourself to take care of yourself. That's a huge uh benefit for making yourself available for the forces of the universe to work with you. Then you become an agent of transformation in the world. You become that. Life suddenly takes on an additional uh, extraordinary factor when you get out of bed in the morning as an agent of transformation and you, uh, you're available that the universe can move you into different, into different places. Okay. Anything about that right now? Yes, okay. I see. Was it Callista and then Jeff? Callista, did you have your hand up? No, sorry, Jeff. Hey, Clinton. Um, I'd like to speak on trust um, because I've, I've noticed uh, in my experience with trust that I, that I have um, consciously made the decision to, to trust. And one of the things that used to be a big burden in my life is when the trust wasn't met, it would be, um, it would be, well, that, that action would be met with blame, right? Like blaming the other person. And I think that it's important um, to make the distinction that we must take responsibility for our choice to, to, uh, to trust. And when it's not met, you know, recognize that it is our assumption that the trust should be um, should be welcome with its you know its count its equal and opposite counterpart in the other and um, it's been a huge uh, liberation for me in, in just taking responsibility for my decision to to trust Jeff can you give us a real example I mean then you don't have to but if you could it would be it would go in better. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I've, I've been trying to think of a, of a specific example as, as you were speaking. And, um, you know, 
I can't I can't come up with with one very specific, but I, I'm sure you know everybody here can can relate to this. You know, giving somebody their trust and have it not being met, um, and then feeling a lot of resentment and anger and uh, towards the other person um, in a sort of externalized experience. Um, and, and for me, you know, it's just been very much about consciously taking responsibility for my decision to, to trust mm-hmm. um, and knowing that, you know, it's me who, who made the move and not the other person, so to speak. Cool. Thank you. What you, in the time that you spoke, I was able to feel into my real question. And my, my question was, was about making a distinction between making an assumption or choosing to trust. So those are two different, very different things. I might make an assumption that a person will or will not do a certain thing. And I think that that's trusting, but it's a different thing. It's a very different thing. So this is very cool because you can now, you go in and go check your assumptions, check what assumption they can make any assumption about anything. into an expectation. Okay, I see my internet connection is unstable. Yeah, I lost you there for a, for a Let second. Let me say it again. I'll say it again. So we make an assumption about something. Like I assume, I assume she's not going to talk to anybody about our meeting, whatever that was. Okay, so you assume that, but in a part of your mind goes, well, I'm going to trust her to not do that. But the other part is I'm assuming that she's not going to. And those are two very different things. So if you make the assumption that she's not going to tell people about our meeting, and then you assume that your assumption is true, then you make your assumption into an expectation that she's not going to talk to anybody about this meeting. And then if she talks to somebody about the meeting, then you have resentment because your expectation is not fulfilled and resentment kills intimacy. So there's this part of us, Leslie, I see your hand. Just hold on a second. Just hold on, hold on Leslie. So the, there's a part of us that does not want us to have intimacy which is our box and gremlin part, our our psychological defense strategy part, because intimacy causes transformation. Intimacy causes expansion or evolution. Intimacy causes evolution. And, And so there's a part of us that wants to undermine and sabotage any possibility of intimacy, and it can easily do that by making assumptions. Here you are in this situation, you make the assumption that she's not going to talk to anybody about our meeting, and you think that you're trusting her to not do it. You think it's trust, but it's naive to think it is trust, because it's not trust. It's the assumption that you're making. So you can really distinguish between trust and assumptions. Because if you assume that if you if you're if you can catch yourself about to make an assumption that she's going to not talk to somebody about this, then you can let your fear come up, let your fear come up and go, ah, I need to ask her, really. I say, I'd like to make an agreement with you that you do not talk with anybody about this meeting. And then she'll say yes or no. 
but at least you negotiated an agreement. Now, you, then you can use your trust. And that's where you say, well, I trust that you will keep your agreement. I trust your promise to me. And you could be wrong. She could break her promise. But it was no assumption that you made. You were not fooling yourself. You negotiated an agreement. She promised. She broke her promise. You trusted that she would keep her word. Then here's the tricky part. You might even want to assume that somebody will keep their promise. I assume that since you make a promise to me, you will keep your promise. I assume that. And because I'm smart, I change my assumption into an expectation. And when my expectation is not fulfilled, then I get resentment. So if you start watching yourself with this self-observation, see if you can avoid making any assumptions at all. See if you can avoid a lot of assumptions. And so if you stop assuming that somebody is going to keep their promise to you, and then they make a promise to you, and they don't keep it, whose problem is that? It's not your problem anymore. Whoa, this is an interesting world to live in. This is a whole new way is to, is to don't even assume that somebody's going to keep their promise to you. Don't have any expectation that somebody will keep their promise. They can make a promise, but don't make it into an expectation. And if they don't keep it, it's not your problem. You know, their word fails in terms of the universe won't, won't believe them anymore. So there's a, this is cool. It's cool stuff. Okay. Thanks for bringing that up, Jeff. Leslie. Yeah, I was going to ask about um, the negotiation piece of it. I have two friends who are married, and uh, he had a goal, and she said she wanted it to be her goal. This was 30 years ago. And he has, she has pulled out of the goal, and he keeps bringing it up like she's still letting him down and i do think she's fuzzy she keeps uh she's not so clear but it's clear to me she's not in that ag agreement anymore and uh they've asked me to hold space for them and Ooh. i've tried to, i've for many years i've tried to bring this up again it looks like her part of the agreement, you can't assume anymore. You can't trust that. That's over. And, uh, you know, he's stuck where he is. But I, I'm curious if you have any thought about how to help him let go. I mean, he doesn't want to let go, obviously. We, there's a website you can look at called yourgremlin.mystrikingly.com your gremlin, okay. and it will, it will give you some information that we haven't gotten to in the book yet about what's going on about the gremlin part. And it would, like, that's the kind of catalytical distinction to bring into a space like that. Because you know, they've been together for a while. He is using his, his, his primary relationship as a gremlin feeding ground. 
is using the primary relationship as a gremlin feeding ground. This is way more common than most people realize. Why would you do that? Well, hell, you got breakfast, lunch, and dinner for your gremlin every day if you're living with this person. So the gremlin, like allowing your primary relationship to be a source of any gremlin food at all, undermines the well, the, the sacredness, I mean, the opportunity that that is to make, you can make your primary relationship a gremlin-free zone. It is possible to do that, but you cannot do that without the distinction. So your job, Leslie, is to land in the space of their relationship, these distinctions about gremlin, what it is, what it's up to, how it works, what its purpose is, and... Uh, the Conscious Feelings book also has a lot of uh, information, more even more information than the website about the gremlin. And so, but that would be your job. You're being called to an interesting job to bring that, it's a, that distinction as a catalyst into the conversation will open people's eyes about the gremlin. Thank you. Good luck with that. That's an important conversation. I think you can yeah. do it. Thank you. You're welcome. Who else had their hand up? Was that no? Who was it? Who else had their hand up? I see Vicente right now. Yes. Um, I I usually have a feeling here in Rio that's a violent city. So and we have la, la, uh, a lot of poverty issues and people that lives on on hills that. Uh, they are. They have to live on a very rough environment, and they they are always like like as a response uh, of the place they are putting all the time. A response of detecting fear on others, and then go inside and mug or something. Only when when they feel this contract, you have fear of me. Now I I'll make you well, and and. I've been dealing with this kind of this kind of situation because when I walk on the street and I see some guy that's like looking literally on the feet on the top, searching for something that, and and I, I feel when when you say that I, I I made an experiment myself that I look him in the eye and I I, I thought I'm not going to defend myself previously but i know he can mug me but like i'm i'm trying to assume here that i'm seeing you and uh, even if you mug me i i won't make the contract of being scared of you so so you have the the justification to do whatever you want and uh and he looked at me in the eye we we chatted for like 5 5 seconds he understood i understood I was scared like hell and he passed. But there was a communication. My box was saying, like, that's going to happen. And and actually I, I felt that when I defined that some different contract, uh, he, he understood it. And even even if he mugged me, I was aware that I was taking that step. So I, I have to deal this a lot of time here, and uh, this is 
it, it's been a, a very interesting experiment for me here. Whoa. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, thank you. I'm not going to say anything about it. Um, just this whole negotiating new contracts is, um, I haven't thought about it much. And so I would just be careful not to make it too complicated. It's, it's also possible to walk down the street with your center, your grounding cord, your bubble and your space and your sort of clarity at your side and your gremlin at the other side and then look at the person in the eyes. Keep it simple. You don't have to negotiate anything, but you have your center grounding cord bubble sword and gremlin. They, they will probably cross the street instead of walking past you. And it's, it's not a scare tactic. It's simply a presence. You're, most people are not present. And so you could experiment with that, with your center grounding cord bubble, sword, and gremlin, and the, you know, your space. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Calista first, then Maria. This piece, this last about trust, has a, is very important to me, and I commit to writing a book about my journey with trust. Thank you. Hmm. You know, you guys, when you write your book, you're going to sell at least 40 copies right here. Just, just so you know, okay? Don't worry about that. You'll get 40 copies sold right away. <laughs> Maria. Maria, you want to, you want to say something? Maria. Can you hear us? My internet connection's a little unstable, so if it's, oh, it's good. too complicated to, for me to share or ask this question, I'll duck out. Um, this thing about trust and, and assumptions is really alive for me right now, and especially around sharing responsibilities with another person that I have this whole like codex of assumptions that are based on, I don't know, like my mother, I don't even really know where it came from. I'm still researching that. Um, and I guess what I'm wondering is, <clears throat> like if anyone has any wisdom about creating distinction around, it's like, I feel that I have certain responsibilities regardless of whether or not my partner chooses to share those with me. And one of them is, for instance, waking up in the, at night with Valentino if he's not sleeping. And it creates, like I'll, I'll stew through the whole night with resentment if, there's, if I don't have help from my partner. And I have all these expectations about it and I attempt to speak with him about it. And I still find myself back in this position in the middle of the night with this responsible victim story about, well, I have to do this, even though I really need help. And there's this man sleeping right next to me who can help me. 
and I don't know, it's like, I want to trust, okay, I'm, I guess the, um, I guess I'm kind of answering my own question. It's a, it's about like radical responsibility and choosing to enjoy taking radical responsibility rather than kind of pushing it into the realm of trust or not trust. And it's just kind of brutal. And it's just like pulling like all of these, there are just all of these opportunities every single day to build resentment and they're, I'm, they're happening. And I feel like my mother, like I've just inherited all this bullshit from my mother. And it's just egregious to, to move through all of this. And so I, I guess if I had a question, I have a question. I just, it's about like, how do you, is it just about bringing awareness to the, the reality of the assumption in that moment? Or what, where does it, how does it move into, like, how do I not be a doormat in this experience? Like, how do I not just override my no all the time with this stuff and also not expect my partner to show up 50% with what I expect are the shared responsibilities? Before other people say something, let me just give you a, a powerful magical act. What's your partner's name again? Changed it to Oto. Oto? Oto. Odo. You go to Odo, you look him straight in the eyes so that your baby's not in your arms and the baby's not in his arms. You have like 30 seconds of adult to adult. You look him straight in the eyes and say, Odo, I withdraw forever the expectation that you will wake up in the night and help me with the baby. I withdraw that expectation from you forever. And then you walk away. Mm. Expectations are just gremlin food. And you can withdraw an expectation forever. And then you do, you just commit to, you just with, you just hold that with, you just hold that expectation. It's in the garbage can. It, it goes in the black hole. It's gone forever. You could do that. That's one possibility. Thank you. You could do that once a day with a different expectation each day. For the rest of the year. And, and write the book about that, right? <laughs> a chapter, an expectation. It's a huge book. <laughs> it's what I'm writing about right now. And I still just have it every like 20 times a day. So I have 20, 30 second eye to eye expectation garbage experiences to offer my partner every day, at least. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. I have another possibility. Maria, if you're open. <clears throat> yes. It's the opposite of what Clinton said. Um, <clears throat> and that is telling your partner <clears throat> that um, tonight, if he doesn't get up, 
tomorrow you'll be gone and the baby will stay and that you'll be back. I hear it's, you. It's I I can't involve Valentino or I don't want to involve Valentino in the struggle between me and Oto. I enjoy I also enjoy being with him all day. So that would be me taking something away from myself, not me taking something away from him. Which also oh, isn't come back. about that too, because it's kind of parental to say like you'll be punished if you don't do what I demand. I wasn't saying you couldn't be back the next day. Mm. Go, Devin, go ahead. No, I still can't hear you. Jeff, you want to say something? Yeah, so uh, before I, I give a possibility, Maria, um, I, I want to clear an, an assumption that I have, which is that you guys have had conversations about this already. We have had conversations about this, yes. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, this is coming not as a, as a person in a, in a companionship that has dealt with this, but more from my role in helping leaders be better leaders. And, um, you know, one of the assumptions about leadership is that you tell people what to do and then they should go do it. And that's a sort of accountability model. And a new accountability model that we present to leaders is, you know, you go to the person and you, and you tell them what the, what the goal, what the vision is, and then you ask them how they want to do it and how they can do it. And so I, I, the possibility that I'm presenting, if you're open to it, is to have a conversation instead of, of a demand, demand ship or a, you know, recommendation, uh, at more of a question such as, you know, we have this child and this is really difficult for me. How can you help? How can you help me? How can we do this together? Um, and have let him enroll in what he can commit to. And then go from there. Thank you. Uh, that's really helpful because I definitely choose more often than not to present the solution I see. And that's a really like to be to come with the answer. He's expressed feeling really emasculated by that invitation. And this is a possibility that can open up like him offering his adult male like model like way of, of offering like solutions and also creating his own reality. I'm not creating it for him as his mother or some other authority figure in his life. So that's really helpful. Thank you. We're coming down to the last minute. Really the last minute. And 
We didn't hear anything from from Horatio yet. Do you have anything to say tonight, today, before we take off? Something that'll last us the week until we come back next week. Yeah, lots. Um, was Brillig in the slatty toes? Did Gar and Gimble in the wave? All Mimsy where the boar grows in the Momrass. Oh, grave. That says about all the last few seconds I got. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Slay the Jabberwock. That's also a really amazing website that's available for you online. Slay the Jabberwock. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else. Just thank you all for being here, and uh, I look forward already to being with you guys again next week. And thanks a lot for your presence. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. -bye.